Welcome back to the American capital, familiar territory for the man from the capital of Australia, Nick Kyrgios. He won the City Open title here in 2019, and this week he repeated the feat, this time against Japan's Yoshihito Nishioka. 27-year-old Australian, one point away from his 27th win of 2022, and one point away from his first title in 36 months. Championship point. And Kyrgios will wear the crown once again in the District of Columbia. Nick Kyrgios, unbowed, unbroken, picks up title number seven. And he went about it anything but lucky. This was well earned for his second title at the City Open. Three years after winning his last ATP title, Kyrgios, 6-4-6-3, champion in Washington, D.C. Nick, huge congratulations. Your seventh title so far, and of course the first one since 2019, back when you won it here, and another title. Got off to an early break right away. What was? What did you feel like you did the best today? Yeah, uh, he's a tricky opponent, and you know he deserves every minute of um, you know celebrating getting into his first 500 final. Man, that was insane. The players he beat to get there were, were not easy at all, so i got to give him high praise. But, man, it's just very emotional for me to see where I was at last year to now. It's just an incredible transformation. But I just came out with great energy. I knew that I had experience on my side today. I love this court. I've played so many good matches here, so I'm just really, really happy with, my, really happy with myself. And you showed a lot of emotion at the end. Took a moment on the court and just looked down. What was going through your head at that moment? Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, I've been in some really dark places, and just to be able to turn it around, and I think... There's so many people who, you know, have helped me get there, but, you know, myself, I've shown some serious strength to just continue and, and uh, you know, just persevere and get through all those, you know, times and, and be able to still perform and win tournaments like this one. Phenomenal performance. Congratulations. And best of luck in the doubles. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll hear much more from Jill Krabis shortly with plenty of great interviews. We'll also chat from here in Washington. But first, there's also been an ATP 250 event taking place this week in Los Capos, Mexico. The world number one, Daniil Medvedev, beat defending champion Cameron Norrie in the final. Yeah, so I mean, when, when you play against Cam, you know that you have to fight for every point. And first set, we broke uh, each other two times to beat 5 all, and he actually came back from 40-15, and I didn't play bad uh, in that game on 5-4. So I knew I just have to stay there, actually. Bleeding helped me, I think, a little bit, because uh, uh, I could uh, hold my nerve a little bit more. Uh, and yeah, since then, I uh, just managed to, to, to play good, and uh, yeah, it was enough today. Would you describe this match as your best in Los Cabos? Every match was very good, but I mean, the final is always special, and in the final you play the best uh, player of this week. Uh, so yeah, it's always a high-level match, uh, and I'm really happy that I managed to, uh, to show some good level, some good shots uh, in such an important match. It is fair now to say that you are in love with Mexico? <laughs> now, yes. Ah, Daniel Medvedev, el campeón del abierto de tenis, Mifel. Thank you very much Thank you. and Thank enjoy you the guys. moment. Well done to Daniil Medvedev for securing his first title of 2022. He extends his stay at the top of the rankings, which will now be guaranteed until at least the end of the U.S. Open.
It was a tough week in Washington for Australia's Alex De Menard. Things won't get any easier in Montreal this coming week. He faces the home favorite Denis Shapovalov in the first round. But that aside, the Australian can at least call on positive memories from just a couple of days ago when he won in Atlanta, a title he'd won before. It's a place which I enjoy, so uh, I've got some great memories uh, in the past, so it's always good to kind of uh, refresh the mind uh, onto what I did well a couple of years ago and what I did to, to win. So I felt great out there, played some great tennis again and, uh, you know, very happy with the week. You're one of the fittest players out there that can last the longest. So these conditions, do you feel like that gives you some extra comfort or confidence knowing that you can outlast anyone when it's so hot and humid? It's something that I worked really hard on. So uh, in conditions like these ones, it, it does help out a little bit. It gives me a little bit more confidence. Uh, I can go out there and kind of back myself and, and just try to enjoy the process, enjoy the moment. And, you know, if I had some weapons like uh, like Nick, for example, and, and his town, then uh, maybe I would have shorter points, but uh, I've got to kind of do it the hard way. Well, your weapon is your speed, right? Your speed consistency. And you've started to get a little bit more aggressive. Is that something that you've been working on in particular recently? Yeah, constantly trying to add uh, new areas, new aspects to, to my game, to take my game to the next level. That's, that's what it's all about. I keep trying to push myself. Uh, and that's that's been part of it. You know, I feel like if I, I want to take my game to the next level, then that's something that I've got to implement in, in my my game style. And you always credit your team, of course, uh, Adolfo Gutierrez, and you, I know you've been mentored by Leighton Hewitt as well. But you also credit a lot of the other Australian players that have helped you quite a bit. What have all of them said that have impacted and have helped you uh, be successful? Well, more than anything. Um, a lot of the players have had a lot to deal with me when I was uh, young and coming in, especially in in the Davis Cup umbrella. So, you know, a lot of uh, the players kind of took me under their wing and, and really, you know, helped me uh, believe in myself and, and really feel like I belong with, with these guys. And so I always credit it to them, whether it's uh, Johnny Millman, Jordan Thompson, John Pierce, uh, Matt Reed, I mean, James Duckworth. Like, I just feel like there's so many Aussies out there, and we all, they all want the best for me. You know, now we got Koch, we got Nick, obviously. Um, I just think it's a great team camaraderie, and it's, uh, you know, it's something that's helped me, you know, become the person that I am right now. Is there something in particular that stands out, a piece of advice that stands out, um, or just an overall? Well, more than anything, they, they believe that I belong before I did. So they helped me, you know, really uh, believe in myself uh, and believe that, you know, I was good enough to be uh, with the top guys uh, in the world. So, you know, they, they instilled their belief in me and that, that really uh, went a long way. Alex Dimonor speaking to Jill Kravis. Jill also managed to talk with another player who had a disappointing week in Washington, losing early. Indeed, the last time Andy Murray played back here in the Capitol was 2018, when he was faced with three epic back-to-back -back matches not long after undergoing hip surgery. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps coping with, like, the difficult moments. Um, you know, it's definitely been, like, a really hard sort of three, four years. And, um, you know, but during that that whole process like 
I went through quite a lot, like emotionally. Um, I had to accept that I'm, you know, I might not play again before I had the operation. And then, whilst I was going through that, you know, process of getting to that point or that acceptance, like, also made me remember why I was playing tennis in the first place. And yes, like, winning titles is nice. Winning major events is nice, and it's great. But the reason why I started playing tennis as a kid was not for that is because I loved I loved the sport I really enjoyed doing it and that's why I'm still playing so yeah yeah I think we could see a lot of the emotion or I saw a lot of emotions it's been it's been great being able to follow your career and watch you but just thinking about the emotions especially here you were in Washington DC um, you had a lot of emotions here as well in the past obviously 2006 you were a finalist but 2018 had some epic battles after coming back from surgery, 2019 playing doubles with your brother. Do those memories come flooding back when you walk in here? Yeah, I mean, the 2018 was, yeah, it was a really difficult year because I played a number of long matches that year, very late ones, and I was very emotional after one of them. And I think everyone thought that I was like, so emotional that I'd you know won the match and that I'd come back from you know the operation and stuff that I'd had but actually I was struggling so much physically that I just I was just really upset that my hip was just hurting like so bad and I remember getting back to the locker room with my team and like yeah we were all just like well yeah we we're all just crying like you know so like, I literally I can't do this anymore like it's too painful and so yeah I remember that uh, a lot but yeah, managed to <laughs> managed to find a way to, to get back here and relatively pain-free, so it's good. And then you're obviously coming from the grass. You know, had some good results beating Sitsipas, Kyrgios, had a tough one against Isner, obviously, at Wimbledon, but quarterfinals of Newport. I know you have a ton of experience with the transitioning from surface to surface, but with everything you've been through, is, is the transition different for you going to a hard court where it's like, tougher on the body? Yeah, so... I yeah, I have to factor that in a little bit more now. Like when I was younger, I found the transition going onto clay always quite difficult, but more just because I never felt that comfortable on the surface movement wise. But like now, when I come onto hardcore, I was, you know, was entered and was planning on playing the tournament in Atlanta. But when I got back from Newport and just chatting to my team, it's like, you know, I do need a little bit more time to make those adjustments now just to reduce my risk of injury and you know be able to gradually build up on the surface and I, I hadn't actually played you know anything at all on on the hard court since the Miami tournament you know it's been like four months so yeah I decided to take the week of Atlanta off and came here very early to, to train and prepare and that's that's helped me a bit. The art of allowing injury to heal properly is also something that the two-time former Washington champion Alexander Zverev is going through at the moment. So when Seb Lozier managed to catch up recently with his brother, Misha, he asked how his recovery from the ankle ligament damage is going. Uh, everything went well. He's rehabbing, he's working out, he's making, uh, we want to say baby steps, but they're actually huge steps uh, towards, you know, being back on court soon. and. Um, He's feeling good. He's uh, looking great as well. His upper body's actually getting stronger and stronger. He has time now to also build up some muscle on some muscle. And um, yeah, I'm going to see him in a, in a few days, going to see uh, how he does, visit him. And then we're planning on actually hitting a few tennis balls. 
Wow, so that's pretty soon. Um, how is, what is the, I guess realistically, what does rehab look like for him right now? Oh, it starts early in the morning around 8 a.m., sometimes even earlier than that. And he goes through different stages of, you know, working on mobility, strength, stability, uh, range of motion, and just uh, so many different steps from like, you know, running in water, running on different surfaces, really working those, those uh, muscles and tendons. And um, uh, let me put it that way. He is very tired in, in the evenings and he goes to bed rather early because he has to wake up every day and, and it starts, you know, starts again from, from scratch. And we saw on social media recently, he's walking by himself, but yeah. it, it didn't look easy. Yeah. And you, but you're saying he's going to be hopefully hitting a tennis ball. In he, he wants to hit a tennis ball sometime soon. And, and when I say hitting a tennis ball, it means like you're on the court just, just hitting tennis. But it doesn't mean you're going full out, you're, you're playing points. No, it's, it's just um, he wants to be back, you know, standing on, on the court, just, just feeling like, like a tennis player again. I think it's very important also for, uh, for him mentally. And uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully see that in, in, in a, yeah, very soon. Because he's worked so hard physically, hasn't he? Yeah. This is obviously a setback, but how confident are you that he's going to be back physically to where he was pretty soon? I'm very confident. Knowing Sasha, who pays a lot of attention to his uh, fitness level, he likes to be in shape. He, he needs it also not only to win matches, but he needs it to feel good. And um, that's why he puts so much work into, into rehabbing and, and training that I actually feel like maybe his weaker, now injured foot is going to be stronger than, than the other one. And, and mentally, you know, you mentioned that he's uh, he's tired because this is, you know, it's early starts and late finishes. Yeah. Is he is he kind of, you know, is he gritting his teeth to get through this or is he sort of, you know, are we, are we seeing grouchy Sasha or is he OK? No, I think, you know, what he's in a place. It's in Donaustauf. It's a small yeah, city village, I want to say. There's not much happening, but he I think he enjoys the process as well because he likes to work hard. He likes to be focused. And and there he just all he does is wake up in the morning and and try to do what, whatever's best for his body so honestly I think he's in a very good stage uh, mentally and also physically so I'm expecting you know for him to come back soon and, and be ready and yeah in terms of playing properly on a court yeah. there's been talk of US Open he's not ruled that out is that realistic it's hard to say because you never know you wake up one day you feel great you wake up the next something is hurting aching and uh, but he does everything that he can that he possibly can and he does it like i said like the whole day every day he wakes up in the morning and until late night he he just works in his body so he will try to do his best to be on court to be ready to play but um, he understands that sometimes you cannot rush things you need to be ready he doesn't want to just be on court and participate no he wants to be on court and win that's why I, i'm 100 percent sure that he's gonna take the right decision and, and decide when it's necessary that like, okay, yes, he's going or no, he's not going based on how he feels. Just finally, Misha, I mean, the number one in the world, it was right there, wasn't it? Yeah. He's going to be extra yeah. hungry, isn't he now? Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I mean, right now, I think the main goal is to come back, to be healthy, to um, win matches again. And then I think becoming number one, yes, it's a goal, but it's, it's, you know, it's part of the process, you know, sometimes we always say just play a match just enjoy playing points and, and forget about the score and then when you have won sometimes you, oh, you haven't even realized so I feel like it, it should be the same with number one you just play you win matches you win tournaments you climb up the rankings and one day in a perfect world you wake up and there you are you're world number one that's uh, that's I think how, in, how it should happen and how it will happen
One of the biggest hitting encounters this week in Washington was the matchup between the eventual champion Nick Kyrgios and the American giant Riley Opelka. The end of last year, Opelka made the jump into the world top 20, and while he briefly lost that position, he's now back up to a career-high 17. With legend Venus Williams now firmly in his corner as a friend and mentor, Riley has a renewed focus on what he needs to do to stay up at the top. Motivation wasn't necessarily the issue. It was just a matter of trial and error of trying what was uh, getting the right program for my, for my body physically. I spent a lot of time in the strength and conditioning side and a lot of things went south um, over the last four or five years. You know, something would irritate something of mine and I'd have to step back for two weeks. It was hard to always, you know, maintain momentum. And I started working with a new strength and conditioning coach in, in Florida and that really changed everything for me. And we found a, a program that works for me that keeps me healthy and something I can consistently do and I'm always kind of progressing in the gym and getting stronger and that helps me stay healthier on the court. Is, is that something that the strength training training continues throughout a tournament as well or does it ease off a little bit? Or? Yeah, it, it does. It continues throughout the tournaments because it's we play 25 of them a year and some of them are, you know, two weeks long. So if I don't do anything during the tournament, I waste almost 60% of the year. So that that's still something I'm trying to learn about. That's why it's, I always use the the, the term trial and error because it's kind of I'm still trying to figure it out and I hope by 26 27 I have it you know completely figured out and then I have six seven years left on tour to fully implement it and, and be comfortable with it and continue to you know stay on the that that path and then just obviously getting into the top 20 um, just last year you're playing a lot more matches. Does that change in your mind how you go about the schedule throughout this season? Because it's it's a long, hard court season now leading into the U.S. Open. Yeah, I think, you know, something I was just thinking about uh, yesterday. I think I've actually played too many tournaments this year, more than I ever have. Um, and part of that's because I physically I felt better and, and I've made runs in tournaments and my body's held up. But I think I still need to kind of go back to the, the idea of just making each week count and making sure I'm at my best level physically, mentally each week. And if that means playing less, then I think that's what it is. I, you know, I, one thing I've always I've praised Isner for his consistency for so long. And looking back, even when he was my age, he still didn't play as many tournaments as the normal, you know, as, I guess the normal top 20 guy. And, and I think there's something to be said for that. I think physically he just... Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot on a big guy to, to fit on a plane and be squeezed for a couple hours and travel. So I think that's something I'm going to look into for next year is playing a little, just a little bit less, making each week count a little more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you know, you talk about learning and gaining that experience. Someone that you've mentioned that has helped you a lot is Venus. What particularly about her mindset um, do you value? What, what has she helped you with so much? Oh, it's perspective of life, um, everything. I mean, just the way she kind of lives is quite, uh, it, it all makes sense. You know, I, hanging around with her and Serena, it, it makes sense on kind of why they are so successful on and off the court. But uh, Venus is, she's brilliant. You know, I mean, she's, she's really a, a genius. Like her mind socially is on another level. How she can kind of read a room and, and read people is, is off the charts. And I think she probably, you know, looking back and after knowing her so well now and, and watching her as a kid, it makes sense, I think, how her awareness on court of what was going on, on the other side of the net as well, what other girls were feeling against her, 
was, I think, why she had so much success and, and why she always delivered, let's say, on big matches. Because she was always aware of what was going on on the other side of the net, not just her own. And knowing what, how uncomfortable she, you know, has made her, her opponents feel, no matter how close the score is. And so I think, you know, that's just one minor thing. One small thing I've learned from her is, um, you know, not just only focusing on yourself. There's, there's someone else you're playing against, and it's important to be aware of what they're feeling and what they're thinking. The fact that you've observed that about her and how much you've gained from that, has that changed your approach on the court or what you've noticed when you play matches? Totally. I mean, you know, I, I, I had a, yeah, it, it's funny. I started practicing with her, you know, over a year and a half ago, a little more, let's say. We started training together before the clay court swing and, and, and spending more time. And, and I think, obviously, I've had a great uh great coaches around me with Jay and, and, and my physio and my team has been great but it's I don't think it's any coincidence either that I started playing my best tennis and taking it to another level and competing better and having a better mindset after spending a lot more time with with Venus you know I, it's not a fluke by any means there's something to be said for that it was a lot of some great knowledge that I picked up from her end it didn't just you know it, coincidentally if you look at it it's not a coincidence we started spending more time here. She started teaching me some things, and I started winning some more matches. So I, I, that's why I really value our our friendship and our relationship. Is because of how uh, it's a it's a pleasure for me. It's a treat for me. She doesn't have to share those those gems with me because I, you know, I, her and Serena and you know the athletes like that, the Kobe's, the Lebrons of the world, the Tom Brady's, like Serena and Venus. They're they're in there. It's they're in a list of five, six elite minds, and that's pretty, pretty special. That's pretty awesome. You have access to that. That's, yeah, in, totally. that's incredible. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, in particular, Venus and Serena's on-court and off-court, and it's no surprise. Everyone's aware that you have a lot of off-court interests as well with art and fashion. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that balance for you is also important? For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's very important to have that balance in life, just like anything. You know, if it, if it wasn't art and if it wasn't art, it, 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 I'd hope it'd be, it would have to be something else. You know, I don't know what it would be. I'm not a, I'm not a golfer. I'm not into, yeah, I'm not into fishing or whatever some other hobbies are. But, uh, yeah, I would have to find something. Otherwise, I'd go a little bit crazy. Not that I already, it's, uh, I already have, but it would go even crazier. Is that something you look up every time you go to a city or a tournament? Yeah. Yeah, what you can is. go sightsee or what you can see. Yeah, yeah. mainly yeah, food, art, yeah. restaurants, and, and and art. It's food, food and art for me are like my main two things I look up. Food's a little easier because it's more like it's something that I need. I mean, I do need art, but I I definitely need food. So I get I, uh, I kind of forget because there's so many cities we go to. But I have a, a list on my phone on my notes, so I'm gonna check back on those today and uh, pick a good spot tonight for dinner. So that's just about it from this week's podcast. But before we go, and with the players' attentions now turning to the Masters 1000 event in Montreal this week, one man in particular will have very fond memories of this particular time of the year. Shapovalov leading 6-4 in the final set tiebreak. Nadal serves backhand return. Forehand Nadal to the backhand of Shapovalov. The hunt from Nadal is down the middle. Backhand Shapovalov down the middle. Both players playing safe. Now the bigger forehand from 
The Shapovalov, he has a big forehand down the line, winner! He falls to the ground, he throws his racket away. He now looks up as if he doesn't believe what he's done. And there are many people here who don't believe what he's done, but they have seen it. They have seen him beat the great Rafael Nadal. He has been beaten by Denis Shapovalov. What a wonderful match, even without the victory. This was already a coming of age for the young Canadian. He's 18 years old, and boy, is this guy going places. Chris Bowers with that brilliant commentary, and on the eve of the 2022 edition in Montreal, five years on from that breakthrough moment, the team at ATP Uncovered asked the man himself, Denis Shapovalov, to watch back video of that remarkable moment in time with his recollection supported by the commentary from our colleagues in TV, Sam Gore and Robbie Koenig. So I'm walking onto the court, waving, a wave. Waved again. Wasn't too comfortable with like the walk on, walk off. You know, I didn't know what to do at that point. It was like my first time. You must have known that you were playing tennis legend Rafael Nadal. What, yeah. you, what was in your mind in that moment that you just watched? Honestly, I was really relaxed. I had a already unbelievable tournament, and I remember like people asking me before the match, "Are you gonna win today?" I'm like, "No chance." You know, like I'm happy to get more than four games because I think he played George the round before, and he beat him two and two. I was like, this is great, you know, Rafa's feeling it. Like, I just, I want to get five games. You know, that's, that's what I'm going for. Before that match, everyone was showing the picture of you. When I was young, yeah. I remember that time, actually, we were supposed to, like, hit some balls on center court. So we didn't get to hit any balls because this guy, Rafa, needed to play his match. So, <laughs> so we got to take a picture with, with him and, and Igor Andreev. Shapovalov would love a quick start. Get this crowd behind him right away. This is going to be the ultimate test for him on his home soil. A night match against Rafa. Wow. They're cheering a Nadal miss. Got the first point, so I was happy. <laughs> Do you feel the, the fan support from the first point? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's the most insane crowd atmosphere that I've ever been a part of because it was like the noise from all the fans inside, but also so many people were just outside watching on a big screen and they were yelling. So it was just like, it was crazy noisy. Well, as the great champions do, they break at the perfect moment. Shapovalov coming back down to earth, and Nadal with set point. Yeah. Well, it was competitive for seven games, and then Nadal just dominated the last two, and Rafa wins the opening set, 6-3. Nadal starting to overtake Shapovalov now. Okay, he took the first side, but I felt like it was pretty, pretty close, you know, but still at that point, I didn't feel like I had a chance. So for me, it was just like, all right, whatever, 6-3, it's, it's fine, it's good. <laughs> you got your three games. Yeah, exactly, I was good. I was like, I need two more, that's all right. <laughs> 
Wayne Gretzky came to watch me do the Rogers Cup. He was supporting me the whole week there, and he's honestly, if not my biggest, one of my biggest role models. So, you know, it's, it's just like, okay, come on, like, Wayne's watching me, you know, like, I gotta, I gotta give it my all. And uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely unbelievable to, to have a champion like him watching me. the breakthrough. Did not see that coming as it felt like Nadal would just run away with this second set. No way. This is when I broke him. This is the first time that I was like, okay, like I can make this a match. You know, like I felt like I can maybe beat him. I started to feel that confidence. Like, I kind of understood how to play against him. And, hey, maybe I just tried to put a little bit, a couple more returns in the court, you know, not be as, as aggressive as it was in the first set. He had a couple loose errors, you know, a little bit of focus lost from him, and I just kind of took advantage of that. Rafa's had his hands full tonight. You never know how a young player is going to respond when they go up against a player like Nadal. This has been good stuff. The forehand right through the line. A line liquor of note for the Canadian. What a way to bring up set points. Well, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, but he'll take it right there. An electrifying atmosphere here. An improbable second set victory for this young man. Oh, that was so lucky, so lucky. Because I completely framed that return and it just caught the edge of the line. I think he knew that as well. I think he knew how lucky he was. <laughs> Who is going to win two points in a row? Everybody in the crowd is, can't believe how long this game has gone on for. Still early in the third set. This is the ninth deuce of the game. Honestly, I was cramping through the third set. I was cramping pretty bad, but I wasn't showing it. Holding a tough game, my serve. That was literally, literally the goal. Just, just take care of my serve and, and try to have, you know, see if I have a chance to, to break him. Tough game. That was really, really long. Was it like 15 minutes? Just cannot seem to put two points in a row together. Neither one of them really in this game. Dallas made a healthy career out of winning games like this and breaking an opponent's spirit. See what Dennis can do here. Can he close it out eventually? Fire and ice. Fire in his game and ice in his veins. Shapovalov, he continues to surprise and impress. We have arrived at the decisive moment. A final set tiebreak will determine who moves on to the quarterfinals in this epic battle here in Canada. At 3-0, it's kind of like, okay, this match is over, you know, you got this far, whatever, like, just enjoy the last couple moments. But uh, honestly, he got a little bit tight and, and just led me back in the match. I played some good points, and I remember, I think at 1-3, I had a big serve. 
five for Shapovalov. I just played every single point, tried to, you know, be aggressive with my forehand. And when he made that loose here on the forehand, I knew he was tight and I knew I had, had a shot to, to win the match. Match point, Shapovalov. I think I just loosened up, just was able to, to turn it around. I wasn't even thinking, you know, like, I, I wasn't thinking much, you know, I was just, just in the moment. young lefty, shot making of the highest order. A star is born right here in front of our eyes. The mental fortitude is hang on in there after being down three love in the tiebreaker. Denis Shapovalov, 18 years of age. He's taken down Rafael Nadal in the top seed. What a match. Incredible scenes here at the Rogers Cup. I remember like blacking out after that, like I just can't remember much, you know, just like from, from videos, but uh, yeah, it was definitely, definitely unbelievable, you know, for me at that point. That week literally made my career and it was just like completely different after that, getting into bigger events, a complete lifestyle change and, and really this, this tournament made my career, you know, from beating Nadal, you know, back to back, making semis after. This week made me the player I am today. Fantastic memories of that special time from Denis Shapovalov. He'll be hoping to create new ones this coming week in Montreal. Remember, you could watch the whole event live on Tennis TV. And with a potential second round encounter between the world number one, Daniil Medvedev and Nick Kyrgios, there's no better time to jump onto the App Store, download the app and subscribe. If it's more tennis chat, debate, and interviews you want, be sure to check back in with us next weekend on the podcast. We'll look back on Montreal and ahead to Cincinnati. Also check out our exclusive one-on-one -on -one interviews we make available on the podcast channel every Wednesday. We'll have in-depth chats with Taylor Fritz's coach, Michael Russell, and double star Motley Middlecoop, just two of the more recent highlights there. I'm Brian Clark. My thanks to Jill Krabus and indeed all of the guests on this week's program. Thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis. Thank you.